of teeth. I want to connect that verse with verse 13. But he that endureth, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. The text is verse 42. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. There are hindrances to spiritual power. We began speaking of this last Sunday and did not finish the message. And I want to continue that message this morning. The hindrances to spiritual power as we approach the end of the age. Now Jesus is here speaking in the last part of Matthew 24 concerning the real possessors and the superficial professors. He calls them both his servants, but he gives a severe warning. He says, watch, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. In verse 13 he said, but he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. If that verse bothers you, look in the original Greek and the word order, and you may come up with a translation like this. He that is saved shall endure to the end. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. A faith that fizzles before the finish had a fatal flaw from the first. If you really have the seed of the Holy Spirit abiding in your heart, He said, that is the Holy Spirit said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He didn't say, I will be with you as long as you quit your sins. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. That's all the more reason why a believer in Jesus Christ will want to make the tabernacle in which he lives, the temple of God in which he lives, not this church house that sometimes is called the, quote, sanctuary, quote, this is an auditorium in which we meet. This is not that sacred thing that Jesus spoke of. Our tabernacle is sacred to God. This house in which God lives is sacred to God. And because it's so sacred, a believer in Jesus Christ will want to slough off all those excess things that he does not need in the tabernacle. And the Holy Spirit can tell you what they are. Sometimes it's wise to enumerate sins and sometimes we just feel impressed to say, Holy Spirit, you tell the people what the sins are. The Holy Spirit can tell our heart. But the point of this scripture is watch and pray for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. The saved is going to endure to the end. That doesn't mean he'll not go into a nosedive. That doesn't mean he's not going to have some collisions along the way. That doesn't mean he won't get dirty in the mud piles of the world. 
you take your little child and clean him all up and get him all ready to go downtown and uh, you get him ready about 10 minutes early and you say honey you sit out here on the porch and wait and I'll be ready to go in a minute and five minutes later you go out there and his face is all dirty and his shirts all got mud on it and you say I got you ready I thought you were clean oh mommy I just t- tell you I'm sorry I didn't know I was dirty and, and so you take him and put him in front of a mirror and he sees all that dirt all over his face what do you do with him you say you're not my child I'm gonna throw you out and you throw him away so what you do you call the police and say come and get this boy of mine he's dirty I can't take him no you don't do that you may discipline him a little bit but you're gonna go in the bathroom and clean him all up again and get him all nice again why because something about you is in him he's yours that's the way God deals with his own there's something about God that's in us the Bible calls that the Holy Spirit the seed of God comes to live in us in 1st John chapter 3 verse 9 he that is born of God cannot habitually continue to practice the same old sins because his seed God's seed remains in him and he cannot go on in those same old sins the saved will endure to the end but on the other hand there are some who pose as professors of faith but they do not possess that seed They've made an open public profession, but they've never really received God into their heart. They've never repented of sin. There's not been a work of the Holy Spirit inside. They joined the church. They got baptized. They even even hold an office in the church. I've known of some preachers that have said they've preached for years and then got saved. I was in a meeting in Two Rivers Baptist Church in uh, Nashville a few months ago some of you were there and Bailey Smith preached and a fine young deacon came walking down the aisle and he said to the pastor sir I've never been saved a deacon so you see just because you profess does not mean you possess and every one of us must constantly check up in his own life that's the reason when you find yourself looking smugly down on someone who comes rededicating his life to Jesus brother you better take a perfect personal stock in your own life if you've never felt that tug of God to rededicate your life to Jesus to come in front of the church and say I need to start over again it may be you don't have anything to start over again about because God may not even be in your life he that is saved is going to endure to the end now Jesus said to both groups watch for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come you see he's the Lord of everybody he's the world's Lord but he is especially the Savior of those who believe know this that if the householder had known in what hour what watch the thief would come he would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken into therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them food in due season blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh shall find so doing being faithful verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods but 
And if that evil servant, somebody else who's posing as a servant, but he's an evil servant, he does not have the seed of God in his heart, shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Why does he use the term hypocrites? A hypocrite is somebody who pretends to be something when he's not, who pretends to have something he does not have. The Pharisees were hypocrites. Now they tithed. They wouldn't even walk a certain number of steps on the Sabbath day. They honored the temple. The Pharisees honored the temple. Incidentally, it was not the Pharisees that had those, uh, all that money changing going on in the temple. The Pharisees didn't like that either. The Pharisees honored the temple. They honored everything. They honored all the institutions. They honored the Sabbath so much that when Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath, they said, huh, you healed somebody on the Sabbath. That's work. They were ready to consign Jesus to the devil because he dared to heal somebody on the Sabbath. You see, they had not that seed of God in them. And so this morning, we address two groups of people. In one sense, they're all one. They're the professing church. But in the real sense, they're in two groups. The real possessors, the superficial professors. And the Holy Spirit can point to our heart and make us aware. I talked with somebody a few weeks ago who said, for years and years I sat in church, and every time I'd hear a message, uh, the Holy Spirit would plummet the depths of my heart, and I began to wonder if I was really God's child. But he said, I did not have the courage to settle it until just a few weeks ago. And I'm so glad I got it settled. What are the hindrances to spiritual power? Again, today we may not get finished. Number one, Satan's satility. Satan is the chief hindrance to spiritual power in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan is the chief architect of confusion in the life of those who are God's visible congregation. Now, the devil doesn't work on the roadhouse gang. He's already got them. When they shoot each other and get drunk and they commit adultery and they do all those things down there at the, whatever those places are, the names of them, there used to be one called The Spot, I think it's out of business now, and some of these other places. When they do all that, don't be shocked. That's just second nature. That's the way, they, that's the, way the world operates. But you see, what the devil does is try to get into the professing congregation and get people all crossed up with each other. Spiritual wickedness where? In high places. Spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what he says. And he says, there's only one way to overcome that, and that's through the seven pieces of equipment that are given us in Ephesians 6. We're to put on the whole armor of God. And among that armor, 
Along with that armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with much supplication. Now, look in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. In other words, the, we're told here that we're to be sober. Now, this is spoken to the visible congregation. Real professors, superficial professors. Be vigilant, be sober. Your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan works in the minds of men. Oh, my dear friend, learn how to deal with the devil. Our youth in training union, I believe, are, are studying dealing with the devil. I believe everybody ought to take that course, dealing with the devil. We need to be able to recognize him for what he is. Remember, yesterday I was out witnessing. Buster Jordan and I were out together yesterday afternoon. And we went into a home, and some guy uh, sat there and just smirked just sort of laughed. I talked to him about Jesus, and he just laughed. Ha, ha, ha. I talked to him about heaven and hell, he just laughed. I said, sir, I'll, I'll not tell you his name. I said, sir, you know why you're laughing? He looked at me. He said, no, why? I said, because 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 and 5 tell us that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto him. That man just stood up. I said, it's Satan that's causing you to laugh. And I want to tell you, I'm not offended at you a bit. I love you. And God loves you. And I'm going to come back and visit you again. I wish you'd pray with me for that dear man. I believe God will save him. Smirking at the gospel. Why does he do it? He didn't do it. It was Satan blinding his eyes. There are some of you in this auditorium this morning who already have a critical heart, a critical spirit. Some of you are cynical. Some who listen by radio perhaps are cynical. Some to whom we witness over at Western or in our high schools or in the offices or wherever we are, they sort of scoff. You know why they do that? Don't get offended at them. They do that because the devil has their eyes blinded. The scripture says that. And the first hindrance to spiritual power is Satan. Don't get offended at people. Recognize that that's Satan doing that. Secondly, another hindrance to spiritual power as we approach the end of the age is sin that is unpardoned. In Psalm 51, we have the description of David. David committed a terrible sin. Now, he was a saved man. Did you know that David was a man after God's own heart? He wrote Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Nobody ever wrote a more precious poem than that poem. I suppose the 23rd Psalm has helped more people as they've gone down into the valley 
And the 23rd Psalm has been read by more open graves than any other passage of Scripture. Did you know the author of that poem was an adulterer and a murderer and a liar? But there came a day when he was confronted with his sins. He had it within his power to kill the preacher. He wasn't going to do that because the seed of God remained in his heart. You know what he did? He got down on his knees. He said, Oh God, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil thing. God broke his heart. When a Christian is confronted with his sins, it's different from the way a lost man is confronted with his sins. The Holy Spirit stirs him up and disturbs his heart. There are four ways God deals with a sinning Christian. Number one, he hurts his heart. If we will not listen to our heart, then God sends somebody to us. If we will not listen to that person God sends to us and our heart gets hardened, then after a while God has to openly put us on display and put us on a shelf. Maybe there are doctor bills, maybe there are financial problems, maybe there are all kinds of problems because we have not listened to God's Holy Spirit speak to our heart. And if we'll not listen to any of that, then ultimately God has to have a funeral. In 1 John 5, 16, I say to you there's a sin unto death. I do not say you should pray for the one who has sinned a sin unto death. That's a believer. That's a saved man. God is just going to have an early funeral and remove him. Now that man doesn't go to hell. He's saved according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, so as by fire. All his works are burned up. But he's a saved man. But his testimony is ruined. And his pilgrimage on the earth is cut short because of sin. Sin unconfessed. Sin harbored. The Bible says, in Psalm 66, 8, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me when I pray. And so unconfessed sin is a spiritual hindrance as we approach the end of the age. That's the reason Jesus said, watch, ye know not what hour the Lord doth come. Don't let Satan blind your eyes. Don't let your sins go dormant and unconfessed. Get rid of them momentarily. The time to confess sin is not at night, just before you go to bed. The time to confess sin is not when you go to church and come to some kind of a communion service or you come down the aisle and rededicate your life to God. Thank God for that. But the time to confess sin is the moment you do it. Amen. Just like that, Lord, I'm sorry. I let that word slip out of my mouth. I let that thought get in my mind. I let that action get into my life. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But sometimes through pride or some other way when we do not confess our sins immediately and we get under the word of God, the Bible says, is not my word like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And when we hear the word of God, God's Holy Spirit deals with that heart. Now a lost man sometimes can hear the word of God and nothing happens. But if you're saved, brother, and you hear the word of God, God's Holy Spirit will plummet the depth of your soul and bring conviction and draw you back. 
And if you're under the convicting power of God, you're one of God's elect. Even if you're not saved, God's Holy Spirit begins to deal with your heart and he calls you and he tugs at your heart. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the great men of God who believed in the election and sovereign grace of God, used to preach election and then give a general invitation. Somebody came to him and said, uh, Doctor, uh, said uh, Mr. Spurgeon, your theology is mixed up and confused. Oh no, he said. He said, I preach sovereign election grace. I believe that God elects men to salvation. And then I give a general invitation, and I'm sure that only the elect will come forward. God's Holy Spirit plummets the depths of a man's heart and draws him by the bands of God's love. Oh, friend, don't allow sin to be harbored in your heart. That's all the time I have this morning. I have about six other points. But I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to hearts. He's drawing you by the bands of God's love. In times like these, spiritual power is available. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What is the gospel? The gospel is the story of Jesus, who was God coming to earth and dying on a cross. And they nailed his nail, hands into, into the cross. And they put the crown of thorns on his brow and the spirit his side. And Jesus, God's son, looked into the face of God the Father and he said, Father, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And in that moment, God the Father and God the Son made an eternal agreement that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish but have everlasting life. And whosoever will may come. That means you, friend, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever your condition, whatever your sin, whatever your problems, if you will come, Jesus said, he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Three days after the Lord died on the cross, he came out of that grave with triumphant power, power over sin, power over the death, power over the grave, power over hell. And he could give you the same power. Because Psalm 62, 8 says, I've heard this once, twice have I heard that power belongs to God. And that power is available to you to lift you out of sin, out of an old life, out of defeat, out of discouragement, into the wonderful kingdom of the redeemed. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please, for just a moment. Our Father, we thank you for the glorious joy of serving Jesus. We pray that just now the Holy Spirit would speak to every heart. And may some who have never been saved come to Jesus today, and others who are God's children take an open stand and come back home to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? I'd like to request that no one leave during the singing of this invitation. Could we sing beginning this morning with, Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. Jesus, I come to thee. Brother Lloyd, what song is number is that? That's 233 if you want to find it and then look at me. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come to thee. And that's exactly what happens when you come to Jesus. Listen, look at me please after you find that song. You and I are bound in the shackles of sin, the shackles of self, the shackles of the old life, the shackles of pride. 
But when you come to Jesus, those shackles are snapped. And there's glorious freedom and liberty in Christ. You don't have to go back to those old sins. You're free from them. You don't have to go back in the old way. You have a glorious liberty. Who today would step out of the shackles of the past into the glorious liberty of the children of God? Would you do it today? God help you to do it. Oh, come. Come with your sins. Come with your shame. Come with your sorrow. Come with your faith. Come with your lack of faith. But come. And he that cometh, I will in no wise cast out. If you're lost, come to Jesus this morning. If you've been saved but your life has not counted for God, come back home today. If you need a church home, come. If you need a Christian home, you'd like to say, I want my home to be a godly Christian home, and I want to make that resolve, you come. However God speaks to your heart, will you step out for Jesus this morning while we begin to sing, who will come first?